Good morning. Good morning. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited about this study. A few weeks ago, we kicked off a study that's through the summer on heaven, and we've done two lessons. Uh, the first one, we kind of laid the groundwork for everything we know about heaven comes from God's Word. Uh, and we kind of contrasted that with uh, people who sometimes write a book about how I went to heaven and came back. And we talked about how uh, those aren't uh, good things, that uh, we build our knowledge of heaven from His Word. And then last week we talked about the eternal city, that God, Jesus said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. That's what He's doing, and He's going to come back, and He is, has prepared a place for us. And we talked about the eternal city. Now today, we're going to talk about the eternal job. And uh, one of the common questions that's asked is, what will we be doing in heaven? And sometimes this is the picture that we think about, right? When I get to heaven, this is what I want to be on that lounge chair next to the pool. Hey, can Gabriel bring me a drink? You know, I mean, that's what we think about is heaven. We think about heaven as being like vacation, you know, but it's forever. So I imagine if that's the case, here's this guy, he's sitting there in this chair and forever, forever, a million years goes by and he's going to like sit up and go, is there anything more? You know, I mean, this is great, but forever this. And so that's why we want to address the question of what will we be doing in heaven? Now, last week we went through chapter uh, 21 and we talked about the city and it, how it's beautiful and the streets of gold and the pearly gates and its size. And then we got to chapter 22 and it talked about the tree of life and the river that's there in the city. And we read this verse and I'm going to share it with you because it's going to help answer our question today. Revelation 22, 3 says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Well, there you go, Pastor Kevin. That answers the question, what will we be doing? We're going to be worshiping Him. So now in our mindset, we might be thinking, for eternity, it looks like this. That's what we're doing, right? We've got our songbooks, and we're standing there, and we're going to be singing forever and ever. And you're like one of those churches where they have a song that just goes on and on and on. And you're like, how many verses does this song have? And so now you're thinking about heaven that way, right? And so it's like, well, what will heaven be like? This is an important question. Because for some people, both of those scenarios is what we think about, and it's not that appealing. In fact, uh, <clears throat> Isaac Asimov is a, a writer. He writes science fiction. And on that thought, he said, I don't believe in the afterlife. I don't have to spend time fearing hell or fearing heaven. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. And so that's why we want to address the question, well, what will we be doing in heaven? Now, I put a quote up here from one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Jeremiah. He said, God is a God of ability, activity, purpose, and power. We are made in His image. Your eternal life will be filled with ability, activity, purpose, and power. And that segues me into our three points today, but I'll go back to the verse that said, what did we see in heaven? There was the throne, 
there was God, and it says the servants, and we are worshiping Him. Now, that's important because the word servant implies something. And that's why my first point is, what will we be doing in heaven? We will be busy with work because a servant has tasks. A servant has things to do. And what I want to show you is just in the book of Revelation, how many times, I couldn't even put them all on the slide, it uses the word servant or servant, some form of the word serve. Just look at these right here. And his servants shall serve him. The revelation, this is the very first verse of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Therefore, they, the saints, are before the throne of God and serve him day and night. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants. And this is my favorite one right here, chapter 19. It says, see that you don't do that. Now, you know who's saying that? It's an angel. See, John's writing the book of Revelation and angels have, have been revealing things to him. And John bows down to this angel like this. And the angel's like, no, no, don't do that. Because we're not supposed to do that to angels. We don't worship angels. Worship is to be only to God. And here the angel says, no, no, don't do that. But this is the part I want you to see. For I am your fellow servant. There's a way in which he's saying angels and the saints of God were in the same category as far as servants go. Angels have different tasks to do. He uses them in a unique way than, than us. But we're both servants, and so Revelation gives us a lot of content to tell us we will be doing tasks. We will be serving. But not just Revelation. We can look at uh, other parts of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 says, If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. Revelation 5.10 says, You have made them a kingdom, speaking of the saints, and they shall reign on earth. And then Matthew 25, 21, this is a, a very common verse. People know this verse. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And in that particular story, he's talking about these different servants and how they utilized what God gave to them. And then now they're kind of being judged by, here's what I gave you. What did you do with, with and these, you did good. And he's looking at the servant. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's very common. I grew up in church and I would always hear somebody say that, you know, when I get to heaven, I want Jesus to look at me and say, well done. You know, that means that I lived my life in a way that honored him. I mean, all of us mess up in some way, but given as a whole, he looks at what you did with your life and says, good job, well done. You know what he doesn't say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into eternity and sit on a chair next to a pool. Enter into vacation. He doesn't say that. He doesn't do that. And there's a way in which uh, what we're doing right now, it's, it's like a prelude to eternity. We are serving him in this life and we'll be judged by how we use our life. And then based upon that, he's gonna, he says, you were, you were faithful over much. I'm going to give you much. Go into eternity. And this is part of what I want to show you today. How do we answer the question, what will we be doing? And the first point is we will have work to do. And what I tried to demonstrate there was there's a lot of scripture that 
gives support to that, okay? <clears throat> but not only scriptural support, but another thought. Work comes from God, not the curse, Okay, if you go all the way back to Genesis, Genesis 2.15, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? Vacation? He put him in the garden to work. He put him in the garden. He says, work it and keep it. So what I'm trying to show you there is sometimes, maybe you have a job, you're like, oh, I just, I don't like my job, or it's just, you know, it's just never ending. We're, we're working, and we, we're, we're acquiring money, and then we have to pay all these bills, and it wears me out, you know, all that busyness. I can't wait till we get to heaven where we don't have to do that. But here's the thing. Work existed in the beginning when He made man. What happened was man sinned, and sin affected the whole world. Genesis chapter 3, after Adam had sinned, God comes to him. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And you look at that picture. And what he's saying is work now is going to be hard. It's going to be harder. Adam was a gardener. He's in the garden Work it. Take care of it. But now, because of sin, he's like, i got to deal with thorns and thistles, and the ground is hard, and i got to work it and till it. It's so much harder now. The parts that we, we don't like about work come out of sin, and how sin and rebellion changed the world. It changed us. It changed community and relationships. It changed work. It made work harder. But my point is, we're going to be busy with work. Why? Because work comes from God. He gave it to us in the beginning. And I also want you to, to make note that God himself is a worker. He's a worker. I mean, just think about the very foundation. Creation. Six days, he did what? He worked, making the whole universe. And then he said, on the seventh day, the last day, rest. But he worked. Now, um, Interesting thing about God, he doesn't tire. He didn't make the seventh day because he was tired. He made the seventh day, building it into, he gave it to Adam, but we're not supposed to use it just to rest so we can go back and then our job becomes our main thing. God is the main thing. But I'm trying to show you that God is a worker. John 5, 17, Jesus is talking. He says, my father is working until now and I am working. Both the Father and the Son are workers. One of my other favorite pastors, Tim Keller, said, Work and lots of it is an indispensable component in a meaningful human life. It is a supreme gift from God and one of the main things that gives our lives purpose. And that's why my last point on this about being busy with work is we're image bearers. If God's a worker and it's meaningful and you're an image bearer, you're made after him and his image, then we are to be workers and it's supposed to be meaningful to us. And it says a lot for you to just think about what is your job like? What do you get out of it? Because the way God made us, work is supposed to have meaning to us. When God made the world, 
only man is given a job description. He didn't give a job description to the animal kingdom. Yes, they're supposed to team and they're going to reproduce, but to Adam he came and he gives him a job description. He comes to Adam and he says, um, subdue, have dominion, fill the earth. And there's an aspect where he gave something to man that's completely different than the rest of the universe. And we're supposed to, as image bearers and descending out of that, be like that. We're to be workers. There's an aspect of our life that is to subdue. And what does that mean? What does subdue mean? Well, I'm going to come to that in a second. But I, at this point, I would ask you this. God, let's just say you take God and he's not bound by time, but if we just go to the creation week, there's, there's a week, you know, all right, God, what'd you do with your week? Oh, uh, he created the universe. I mean, there's something to show with what you did with the time that was given to you. That's why at the end, it's going to be like, what did you do with your entire life? Right? And our job is to have an, uh, an aspect of that where we can take it. Here's what I did. And we're going to, we're going to, give it over to him. This is, but if we work in a way that is only about us, we're going to see as we go through this a couple places how sin permeates even work. But my first point is simply we're going to be busy with work. Scripture supports it. Work comes from God. He is a worker and we're an image bearer after him. But number two is that we will be cultivating with our work. Now, I want to show you this. <clears throat> I put two verses. One is from the very beginning of the Bible, and one is at the very end. And if you're someone who likes to watch TV shows, or you read a series of books, and you really like how authors are good at creating an arc, you know, where like the characters, they're all intertwined, and there's something going on leading us. You can see the story developing. There's an arc. There's a narrative, a grand narrative. Look at this. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. So he puts Adam in the garden and he makes this, there's this comment. The tree of life is there. And then you get to the very end of the Bible, the last chapter. And on either side of the river, he's talking about the city. The tree of life is there. And here's the narrative. You start out, man is in a garden. There's the tree of life. By the time you get to the end, he's not in a garden anymore. It's a city. We were not meant to to just exist on and on and on in the garden. See, cult, culture making, cultivating is where we come and we take something that's there and we work on it and we turn it into something. Now, God is the only being who can make something out of nothing. When he created the universe, in theology, the term they use is ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. He didn't use anything that was pre-existing. We can't do that. Everything that we make, it comes from something already made. But Adam was a gardener. And the cultivating aspect of go into the garden, take what's there, make something of it. At the end of the Bible, you see it's, the, it's not a garden. The trajectory was city. Beautiful city, a culture, a community of people. That was the grand arc, the narrative, with God as its king. But there's an aspect where everything that, you're, that you do, 
the jobs that you have, there's an aspect that relates to that cultivating part. Musicians take notes that are there, theory that's there, and they create and compose and make something. Writers take words, they take ideas, sometimes they go back and borrow from other writers, and they create stories and put them there. An architect takes designs that were there, mathematics, and they create something and put it forward. That is culture making. In the very DNA of who we are in being an image bearer is to be cultivators like God. To be a being that can take something and make something of it and go, see? Now, I said here, we will be cultivating with our work. I love seeing that grand arcing narrative from Genesis to Revelation. We end up with a city. But I want you to recognize a few things, okay? First of all, recognize there's a new Jerusalem, which we talked about last week, the city, but there's also a new earth. And we've talked about this through the last or the first couple Sundays. We went all the way back in the Old Testament where prophets were saying there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, not just the heaven part. Because see, somebody asked me the question after last week where we talked about the city, its size, its scope, its beauty, and they said, well, will we only be in the city? Will we have to be in the city all the time? The answer is no, because there's a new heaven, but there's a new earth. Just like the garden was on that planet, the new, the new city will be on a remade new earth. And even in Revelation, I, just to pick out one verse, chapter 5, you have made them a kingdom and they shall reign where? On earth. There's an earthy aspect to our eternal future. So I'm going to do one of our sermons in the series on the new earth. So I'm not going to say a whole lot more about it right here, but I want you to see that one aspect. Secondly, not only recognizing a new earth, but recognize Adam as an example. Okay? He was put into that garden. He was told, subdue it, Genesis 1.28. Genesis 2.15, he was told to work it and keep it. Now this word subdue, I said earlier, what does it mean? All that God made was good, but it was still to a great degree underdeveloped. God made it that way. He made it in such a way that we could come and make something of it to be cultivators. He, everything he made good, underdeveloped. Tim Keller, one of my other favorite pastors, said God left creation with deep, untapped potential for cultivation that people were to unlock through their labor. Now, Adam, being an example like that, what he did was he worked in a way within the systems that God made. Now, last week I said, you know what one of the great features about the new city is? It's holy. I mean, that was one of the first things he said. He saw the city, the, he called it the holy city. And I said, that's going to be so great because it's hard to even fathom that. We live in a world where we have to lock our doors. We've been robbed I've talked about that so many times on this campus. We will not have that. No fear of that. Holy. There's a way in which the city imbibes that very characteristic of God, that attribute. And you know what else? Providence. The new earth and the systems imbibe providence. The word providence means 
provide, to provide for. God is a provider. Psalm says he's, He provides for all of life. There's a way in which He, from the rain to the, the, the ecosystems, He provides life to what grows. But you need to, don't ever for, forget or overlook this fact about God. In the beginning, God, when He created the universe, He created systems. All the systems. The solar system. The ecosystems of the planet. When He made man, it's full of systems. How many systems are in the human body? The skeletal system, the nervous system, the endocrine system, over and over again. There's so many systems just right here. And they're all connected. And they're interdependent within my body. And God is a God of systems like that. And it's a way of providence. So you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a way in which Adam comes to that underdeveloped creation and begins to work it in a way. He creates things in a way that are providing for the very things that are there. Animals, sheep, family. I thought about it this way, a way to illustrate it. I talk sometimes about our house and how, you know, we've lived there now 11 years or so. And I don't know how many years you go backwards. You know, my wife says, we got to plant some fruit trees. We got to plant things so then we'll have them. They're going to grow up. And then later in life, we can enjoy those things. So where there's forethought, there's, there, this is just like what I'm talking about. There it is. But if we go outside and work it, it's going to bring about some things in the future. And I go over there and there's like some of the ground is just, so difficult. There's so many roots. And, and even Denise came over and said, let's do a garden together. And we, you know, it died, you know, and then, you know, it's really hard to figure out how to grow things, you know, but we're working it. We're working it. And we have to work against like mother nature sometimes, right? We, we've been waiting forever on those avocados. And then the typhoon just recently cut the avocado tree in half. Now it's like a stump. It's like, well, now we got to wait even longer. But my wife planted these bushes or trees, uh, mulberries. And for a while, they were sparse. You know, it'd be like a celebration. There's a berry, you know. And then it slowly got more berries. One time, I remember coming home, like, there's like 15 to 20 berries out there. We're going to pick them. Woohoo! And then the graves came over. And then later I went out. They were all gone and discovered that five-year-old Elijah went out and ate them all, you know. Well, the storm came and totally, I mean, all the trees, plants, everything, you, you, you know, you were living here, there were no leaves on this campus. And what's interesting is how some things came back. And that mulberry bush right now, there's four of them actually, have so many berries. It's like, we can't pick them all. I, we take turns, it's your turn, you go out there. And it's like, I'm picking the berries, my fingers are purple. And I go out there and I'm picking berries. And I reach up to grab, there's like this cluster, but it's only one berry. And then I realize it's like five or six June beetles that are the same color as the berries. And they have these sharp, pokey legs. And when I grab it, they all start going into my fingers. And I'm like, wah, you know, and I was getting irritated. These June beetles are all over the mulberry bushes. I even one point picked up like a five or six, threw them on the ground, like, oh, June beetles, you know. And I reached a point where I just realized there's too many mulberries even for me to pick. Just let the June beetle have one. 
And this is part of what I'm talking about with the system, that the beetles are enjoying it. Why? Because my wife had the forethought to plant something over time, to cultivate it, to grow these bushes, and now we're enjoying it, but so are the beetles. And this is how God works. He's a provider, but we become providers too in these systems that He created. This is what part of what our jobs will be like in eternity. We're not just in a robe singing. We have jobs. There's the city. He's made a place for us, but we're going to work as well. I'll talk to you at the end about what your job will be. You might be surprised, but I'm giving you the picture of this. We will have work to do, and it will be cultivating work. And then my last point is, we will find our work to be wonderful. Because I know we all have jobs, and there's aspects to our jobs that are not wonderful. There are times you don't want to go to work. You're stressed out. You work at too many hours. Okay? And so I'm going to give this to you right now. Why your eternal job will be wonderful, okay? And the first point is because sin is removed. I mean, this is very simplistic. We had work before sin, then sin came in, thorns, thistles, right? But now that, that sin's gone, everything that, that sin brought in will be gone. That's why I'm going to go back to the very first verse that I gave you. No longer will there be anything accursed. Everything that, that sin brings in that's cursed removed. And so the one reason why our jobs will be wonderful is because sin's gone. Now, that also means the way that sin affects us and our interpersonal relationships and how we're driven in our jobs will change. That's why I put up here the next one, just some thoughts. I put up here, no selfish ambitions. I mean, think about how we work. And sometimes it's like, we got to climb that corporate ladder to get to the top. There's another guy on the ladder. Poof. I'm going to make sure I get to the top. I mean, this is how work can be and why it's not sometimes enjoyable. It's not wonderful because sometimes you're the guy getting pushed off the ladder. And there's a way in which sin takes that out of us, that we, we, everything we do is for the king. And it's not for ourselves to build a name for ourselves. I'm an architect and I want to have that building out there and people drive by and go, who made that? You know, we want a name for ourselves. I want to reach a certain rank. I want to get a certain degree. So people call me doctor. And somehow those things drive us and we find our identity in those. They're our ultimate identity. And when that happens, it takes God and moves him to the side. And somehow those identities become the biggest thing about us. No idols, meaning work can be an idol. We can everything I just said, you know, I want to be known for, I'm the colonel, I'm the general. I want to be known as doctor. And somehow that becomes our main identity and it, it moves God to the side. It unseats him. Those things will be removed. And then I put here unity. Okay, unity. Now here, I want to give you this illustration on unity and why our jobs will be wonderful. If you go to <clears throat> Genesis and you have the fall, and then you have Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother, Abel. And then the next thing that happened is, is that Cain, God moved him. So there was fear that there might be retaliation. So God moves him. But here's what happens. It says he takes his wife, he has his son Enoch, and he builds a city. Wow. 
Right off the bat in Genesis, we have cities. And that's kind of the theme that I've been running through, that the, that the Bible, the meta-narrative is we're heading towards a city. That's why Abraham said, I'm looking for the city whose builder is God. The foundations are laid by God. But if you keep going in Genesis, you come to the story of the Tower of Babel. And I'm just going to share it because maybe you're not familiar with it. But at that point in the Bible, everyone stayed together. And they weren't dispersing like God had said. And they decided to build this tower. And they're building this monstrosity of a building. But the motivation is wrong. The motivation for it. Talk about a job and you're motivated by the wrong thing. It wasn't to honor God. It was, it was to, the, to, to man, what we can do. It was to show how great they were. And God comes down and he looks at it. And this is what he says. It's, it's, this is so fascinating. He says, Now that man is united, there's nothing that they cannot do. Now, I sometimes steal that and use it in my, in my coaching. If we're united together, we can win the championship. There's nothing we can't do, right? But what God does is He comes down and says, I got to mix them up. And what God does is He mixes their languages up so that now they couldn't be united. And He mixes their languages up. And so just imagine if you went to work tomorrow and you showed up and you walked in and you said, hey, what's up, boss? And they spoke back to you some language. You're like, what? 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 And, and you start, everyone you're talking to, they got a different language. How are you going to get anything done? You can't communicate. And what happens in the story is it dis they disperse. Like everybody, we kind of speak, to, okay, we're all the same language. We're going to go over here. And then they disperse. But the point is, in eternity, we're united. We're united because there's one king. And he oversees it all. And it also brings the question, which is a little bit of what I'll touch on next week, is what will our bodies be like? What will we be like? But I, I mentioned last week, what language will we, we speak in heaven? And it doesn't say. But the thought is, if we're united, that there will be perhaps a common language. Just like English is a very common language today. Every, a lot of people almost, it's the predominant language that's spoken, even though you know other languages. Back in Christ's day, Koine Greek was the common language. Everybody spoke Koine Greek, even though they had other languages. Perhaps it's like that. I don't know. But the point is that there's unity in our work. So whatever our job is, it's going to be wonderful because you're going to be able to accomplish it because of, of there's no sin. There's not sinful competition, and we're united. And that leads me to the last thing here. Um, we will find our work wonderful because everything is repurposed. And I go to Isaiah here. He says, they shall beat their swords. He's speaking about the future. He's speaking about eternity. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But what's interesting, he says, there's not going to be war, but the weapons of war become something else. And there's this principle about when we go into eternity, the things that man made that had a specific purpose that don't fit into eternity get repurposed. Why will your 
job be wonderful? Because everything has the right kind of purpose. So you've got things like swords, they become plowshares. You've got things like uh, spears, they become pruning hooks. And it's interesting to think about what are the things that exist today then that will be repurposed, right? Not going to be nuclear bombs. I don't think we're going to need tanks. You know, and only things that fit into the unified uh, what Christ is giving us in our jobs and the purpose that bring about the success of cultivating, they find their place. Everything will be repurposed. And I was thinking about, I'll talk a little bit about this when, when we talk about the new earth, but um, that same prophet that says this verse, he talks about in eternity, he talks about the ships of Tarshish. Now in in Bible times, ships of Tarshish is a term that refers to kind of merchants in the Mediterranean, and there was a place, Tarshish, because even Jonah was going to flee there. But the point is, they, they exist in eternity. Ships going to Tarshish, it says they're bringing things uh, there to the eternal city. And I asked the question, why ships? Why do we need ships? But if they're ships, they're shipbuilders. And if they're shipbuilders, there's ship creators, ship architects, ship. And it, you begin to think about, see, we're not just going to be sitting in a lounge chair by the pool. There's a culture and things are made. Last week I said, if there's a city, then the city has, all through the Bible, when it uses the word city, we're thinking, what is a city? It's a community of people. They have things going on. They have a ruler. It's going to be Jesus. But there's a culture to the city. There's going to be culture to the city like that. It's interesting to think about that. And I'm going to talk more about that through the series, about there will be art. There will be aspects of culture like that. But uh, right here we see everything is repurposed. And then lastly, because we're going to enjoy our work because work will not degenerate. There's no sin nature. There's nothing that destroys in that sense. One of the things about Guam that you learn when you live here is that Guam is hard on infrastructure, right? It takes a lot more to keep things looking good. I mean, it doesn't take long for the green mold to start growing on the outsides of buildings. We have typhoons here. We didn't have typhoons in Oklahoma. We had tornadoes, but typhoons destroy a very wide region, right? So you build things. The avocado tree I'm cultivating, the storm comes, puts it down. There's nothing like that that destroys and degenerates things in. And so that's why, in one sense, we're going to enjoy our, our work because there's nothing destructive like that to the work. But not only that, we'll have time to finish whatever work that we have in our mind that we want to create. There's a great story about J.R. Tolkien who wrote The Lord of the Rings. It took him a long, he spent so much time, he crafted a brand new language, he crafted a land, he was the characters. He had never put the book out yet, and then World War II came. And he, there's a place where he writes about, I, I was afraid I may not uh, get to ever share that with the world, because who knows what would happen. It's a world war. But see, we won't have fear of that. Well, whatever the tasks are that God gives us, First of all, there's eternity, okay? Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven talked about this. What will heaven be like to perform a task? To build 
and create knowing that what we're doing will last forever and ever? What will it be like to always be gaining skills so that our best work will always be ahead of us? Because our minds and bodies will never fade and because we will never lack resources and opportunity, our work won't degenerate. Buildings won't last for only 50 years. Books won't be in print for only 20 years. They'll last forever and ever. In short, everything we do in heaven will have eternity stamped on it. Now, we come to the very end, and I just throw a slide up there that says, what kind of job will I have? You might be sitting there going, well, what kind of job will I have? Well, one of the things I can say to you is there are some jobs I know that won't, if things are repurposed, you won't need things like a surgeon or a dentist. Sorry, Kenny. Because we'll get to this next week, what our bodies will be like. But God, God's going to give us the jobs. Now, I want to sh- finish with this story. I brought this envelope up here to answer this question. Now, I talk at times about how I coach. I coach soccer, and one of the things I do when I, when I first take a team is I start to think about shaping them over years. And recently, when I took over the teams at Harvest, both the boys and the girls at different times, we had these meetings where they came in, I broke them up into groups, and I gave each group this folder. Each group had their own folder. And I said to them, look, inside of this folder are 20 awesome players, and I want you to examine them You're going to have to bench some of them, but you need to pick 11 starters. And I want you to put them on the floor in the order of the positions. You put the goalkeeper in the back, the four defenders. I want to see which players you choose to play where on the field. I'm like, oh, all right. And I'm teaching them something about decision-making and the skills that they have. So they all get excited, and they take this out, and they go like this, and they pull it out, and then they look at it, and they go, what? Because this is what they are. They're animals. I give them 20 pictures of animals, and they're all different animals. There's a kangaroo, there's, there's a fox, there's a wolverine, there's a chicken, you know. And they got to decide who's going to play where, who they're going to bench, and then they got to defend why they made those decisions. Now, part of what I'm doing here is I'm, I'm trying to teach them that every player has a different skill set. They're not all the same. And every position needs something different. Okay, and so they put them out there, and then it was fun to walk around. Uh, one team, you know, they took the giraffe, and they put him as the goalie. And so I said, defend that, you know, because the only thing in front of that goal are four skinny legs. He's so tall. How's he going to block anything? Now, you know, and, and everyone kind of laughed at him, you know, but, but here's, here's the one I said. The one that you should have put in goal was this animal, a gorilla, because he has hands. Goalies need hands. Do you see that? That makes sense, right? And it was fun to do that little exercise. And then I say to them, listen, what you're doing right now is what the coach does. It's what a leader does. He looks at the players, he discerns their skills, and then he puts them in the positions that he feels that they're going to do their best in that will serve the team so we'll be unified and we'll have success. Because there's always a player that goes, oh, I don't want to play that position, or I think I should play over there. But I look, this position, you have to have tenacity. You don't have that. This position, you got to run forever. You don't have that. You're great with your hands. Maybe you're a goalie. And this is what the coach does. 
And that's exactly what Jesus will do for us in eternity. Because the last verse I'm going to give you, this is Jesus speaking about his Father. He says, I brought glory to you, Father, here on earth by doing everything you told me to do. What job will you have? You're going to do whatever Jesus gives you to do, and you'll bring glory to him. Because he knows you best. Even I, as a coach, don't get it right sometimes. I put him in the position, I go, that didn't work out. But Jesus, he's omniscient. He knows you. He created you. He knows your skills. He's going to put you where he wants you. It's going to be wonderful. Father, thank you so much that we can just look at your word and get an idea about what our eternity will be like. Thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that there's hope. Sometimes you look at the world, we look at what's going on, economy, politics, we can get um, discouraged. And so it's great, Lord, to just take time uh, where we can connect with you, Father, in, in worship, where we can look at your word, be encouraged to, today we just look to the future. We know we got a great future. Our future's secure. If we put our faith in Christ, you said you're going to prepare a place for us. And one day you will come back You'll bring us into that place. And today we, we see it's not going to be boring. We'll have an eternity to work and have a purpose and meaning. And the jobs that we have, they're going to be not only fulfilling to us, but have longevity to them. And we will bring glory to you by being culture makers and bearing your image in doing that. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement today. I pray, God, that as we finish out our lives here today, we'd be encouraged to start it now. Work as unto the Lord, the Word says, to know that one day you're going to look at what did we do with everything you gave us. And we want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over much. I'm going to put you over much. We can demonstrate even now our faithfulness using the skill sets that you've given to us to be a good servant. I lift this up in Christ's name. Amen. Let's finish our service as we worship together. Would you stand?